I've got a uh, story to tell you first. I've always got a story in reserve. And, and uh, back when I was about 20 years old, um, I have to tell you first, I was raised in a non-smoking, non-drinking family. Well, we did drink water and juice and things like that, but <laughs> nothing stronger than that. And, uh, but I was raised in a, what we would call today a straight-edge family. And um, so back when I was about 20, I had been watching, you know, smokers, and, and I got kind of interested. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life, but I have smoked about eight and a half cigars, those little cigars. So they don't really count for much. They're little, you know. Um, and that was over a time of about a year. And so one time I was uh, driving from Ohio, where I was living at the time, down to Mitchell, Indiana, where my parents and family lived, and uh, driving down for a little visit. They knew I was coming. And I had decided on that trip I was going to try something new. I was going to branch out in my little cigar smoking, try something brand new. And I, I wanted to see if I could drive and smoke at the same time. So I'm tooling down the road in my 1958 Mercedes and feeling all cool, looking cool. And, and uh, it didn't work very well. You know, I, couldn't, I found I couldn't smoke and drive at the same time. I don't know how other people do that. And I wasn't sure whether to use the ashtray or the window or to put my elbow up on the side of the door or what to do exactly. And so that didn't work so well. So I, I, that was maybe half smoked. And like I said, I probably smoked eight and a half or so cigars in my life. Got close to Mitchell, got out to the old farmstead and, and homestead and, and uh, had a long lane to drive down. And my, I could see my dad and mom step out of the back door and just stand there. And here, between them, squeezed my nine-year-old sister, nine-year-old sister. So I pull up, and, and I stop the car, set the brake, and uh, I'm getting out of the door. And my nine-year-old sister comes running toward me. Oh, by the way, I left out a little detail here. Before, as I was driving down the driveway, I slipped that little pack of cigars under the seat so nobody would see it. I knew it would bring shame on my family if they knew I was experimenting with uh, tobacco. So here comes my little sister running out, and I thought, oh, she's going to wrap her arms around me and welcome me home. Well, nothing of the sort. As I was getting out, she circled around behind me, pushed me to the side, looked down under the seat, and reached down there and pulled out the cigar package and held them up in the air and said, hey, Jim, what are these? Now, now how many of you know that God was involved in that? You know, that was, that was no fluke. Um, God was involved in that. You see, we have a scripture here. I think it's... Uh, Hebrews, no, yeah, Hebrews 4 and verse 11. Let's look at that together for a moment. It was no fluke, but I, I feel that God divinely appointed my nine-year-old sister to come out and greet me in that fashion and hold up the evidence of my sin against the whole Deckard family. No smokers, but suddenly, what's happened here? So, Hebrews 4 and... Uh, well, I'll just read it if it doesn't pop up there. 
It says, for the word of God is, this is verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a, here we go, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I said in my heart, I'm going to hide the evidence of my, let's call it sin, okay, of my sin under the car seat. And the Spirit of God is a discerner of those kind of thoughts. And then verse 11, here's the clincher. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing hidden. We can't hide stuff from God, can we? We can't hide stuff. And, uh, you know, think, think about God for a moment with me, how great and marvelous and wonderful he is, how that God created all the heavens, the earth, the solar systems. The, he created the whole universe. He's just a creating God. And one of the things he loves to do is stars. I think he might specialize in stars because how many are there? I, I, think, I think there are somewhere around 11 zillion, but I, that's just an estimate, rough estimate, Okay. 11 zillion or maybe more. And uh, in Psalm 147, you don't have that up there, but uh, in Psalm 147, we read where God has numbered the stars. He knows how many there are. He doesn't have to make a rough estimate. He knows exactly, just like the hairs on our head, also the stars in the sky. He knows exactly how many there are. And above that, he's named them all. Are there even that many names to choose from? Well, God has it. He speaks every language, brother. God speaks every language, and even languages of angels. He speaks all the languages. I mean, he's the originator of languages. And uh, so he had names. He had all kinds of languages to choose from, didn't he? Or maybe just made up some names that we would never uh, think about. So now here, here he is. He's just, here's this great God off there, you know, creating stuff doing wonderful and mighty things in the universe. And, and yet, and yet, you know, when I'm driving home with those little cigars under my seat, he, he is able to somehow get small enough to come down to this, uh, this planet that's, uh, you know, compared to the universe, it's like a speck of dust. And then, and then be concerned about a young man, a 20-year-old, getting started off on what could become an addiction, and never did, because I, I never had another one after that. That's the half, eight and a half or 12 and a half. That's the half. I never had any more of that. Threw them away, first chance I had. But, okay, he comes down, and he takes thought for this, just a speck of a speck of a person. And he cares about me. Why is that? Because God so loved the world. He loves us. He's, he's our heavenly father. He loves us, and he cares about what we do. He cares about what we do with our life. He cares about what we do with our bodies, what we're putting in our bodies. Now, I just want to say that the theme of this, the theme of this uh, presentation this morning is uh, sin and forgiveness. Sin and forgiveness. We'll spend uh, the, the smaller part on sin and, and the larger part uh, on forgiveness. Uh, we all know that we're born as sinners. You know, thanks to Adam and Eve, they kind of blew it for us, didn't they? And uh, you say, you know, before we start criticizing Adam and Eve, though, you know, what if it had been uh, Jim and Jean in the garden? That's me and my wife, Jean. What if it had been Jim and Jean in the garden? Well, since we've read the Bible already, we know that we better 
better, better obey the Lord. But they had not read the Bible, of course. But even then, even having read the Bible, because God gave us this thing called free will, free will, yeah? And because of that, uh, I mean, we're not robots, are we? We got free will. But because of that, if it had been Gene and, J- and Jim in the garden, excuse me, then I think it would have been something else. I think we would have had similar results and you'd be mad at us. Um, I think if God had said, for example, um, you can interact with any of the animals in the garden, you know, consider your petting zoo and just uh, be friendly with the animals, but don't touch the monkeys. Don't touch the monkeys. If he had said that, don't touch the monkeys, guess what? I love monkeys. You know, it wouldn't have been more than a few hours uh, at most before I'd be there uh, petting and touching the monkeys. Aren't they cute? You know, look at this. Jean. Jean hates monkeys. I've often asked her if I could have one for a pet. And for 45 years now, nearly 45 years, she's always turned me down. I keep bringing it up every now and then. Couldn't we just have a monkey? And she says no. Okay, but for Jean now, if, if, God, if God were to say, okay, look, I've given you this garden to tend, to live in, to be happy in, and, and everything's perfect here. Don't rearrange anything. <laughs> then that's where my wife would have come in. And she would have failed miserably because not hardly an hour goes by, well, okay, hardly a day goes by where she's not rearranging something in the house. And it keeps me alert. You know, when I come home, I don't drop the garbage in the corner where the trash can used to be because she's rearranged, so it's somewhere else now. Okay, but it would have been something. You understand what I'm saying? We, we were all born in sin, shaping in iniquity. Okay? So we have the propensity. That's a new word for me this week. Propensity to sin. And uh, we got that free will thing going on. So here's the, here's the deal. Uh, we're born in sin, so God says to us, let's go to John. Uh, I, think I, I think I skipped Romans 5, 19, but that's okay. Let's go to John 3 where he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, okay, where are you, John? Yeah, here we go. John 3, he says to Nicodemus, most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we're born in sin, we're born of the flesh, in sin, but we need to be born again. And, uh, He says in verse 5, I say to you, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so we have a a fleshly birth. We're born of the water. We're we're floating in water for nine months, and and then we become a land creature. And uh, so born of the water, born of the Spirit. Now, John, uh, in John 1.29, John the Baptist, not the Methodist, but John the Baptist is down at the Jordan River, and he is baptizing people. And one day while he's doing that, here comes Jesus walking down to the banks of the river. And John looks up at him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, happy news for all of us. Born in sin, and yet here's somebody who can take away the sin of the world. Take it away. Excellent news. And it's, it's uh, good we had communion service this morning because we're thinking about the Lamb of God and, 
and how the Lamb of God had to be perfect, sinless, spotless, perfect in every way to be an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. Under the, and even under the Old Testament sacrificial system, uh, sacrificial animals had to be spotless, without blemish, perfect in every way. And so we know that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was perfect. And um, so, and he takes away the sin of the world. So what I want us to think about is the way that Jesus forgives, the nature of his forgiveness. Of course, it's through the shed blood of Jesus that our sins are blotted out, washed away. Uh, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I believe that's the way it goes. Let's think about forgiveness then for the next uh, next little bit. In... uh, 1 John 1, 9, let's go over there, um, which says, I'm just going to read it off the screen here. Uh, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay. Now, what I I want us to think about, when, when John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world is how far away did he take our sins? How far away? Did he just put them in his pocket and said, now wait, I'm going to check up on you and pull them out again and hold them in front of our face and rub our face in them? Or not? What is the nature of his forgiveness? How far did he take our sins away? Well, Psalm 103, could we go there please? Psalm 103, verse 11 and 12. Uh, well, 12 is the one that we are most accustomed to hearing from pastors from the pulpit. And uh, it says there, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Uh, but I want you to look back to verse 11, and then we'll go back to verse 12 again. Sometimes we miss some of the gems that are in the Bible. Uh, we're used to that verse 12 about the east and the west, but have we thought about verse 11? And I, I, you know, I was laying awake last night just thinking about today and getting excited and more excited and thinking, uh, you know, what the Lord might want to say to us. And, and this vision came to me, or I envisioned, I didn't see something, but I envisioned the, the Bible, you know, like a treasure chest, treasure chest, just full of gold and silver and, and jewels, all kinds of precious jewels and diamonds and rubies and Chalcedony and Chrysoprasus and all those revelation things that we read about. And all these, and that's the way the Bible is. It's like a treasure chest. We open it up and we, and we see things and we marvel at things that we read and that we see there. And then sometimes we miss altogether something and, and it comes up, it pops up before us and, and we think, wow, this is another piece of gold or, or this is another diamond, finely polished diamond. And so, um, here's the thing. Verse 11, verse 11 says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Okay, mercy, forgiveness, it's kind of related, aren't they? As high as the heavens are above the earth. And we're asking that question, how far away does he take our sins, the Lamb of God? And so, as high as the heavens, that word in Hebrew is shamaim, shamaim. And it means not only, it means the sky, you know, the blue sky out there, but it also means outer, what we used to call outer space, you know, just uh, 
near everything out there. It's, it's, it's the heavens. So the, the question is, as the heavens are high above the earth, you know, he could go clear out there in outer space somewhere. And how far does he take our sins from us? So great is his mercy toward those that fear him. And then let's go back to verse 12, which says, as far as the east is from the west, and of course a lot of teachers have brought this up, that why didn't he say from the north to the south? That far has he taken away our sins from us. And why did he not say that? Well, east, um, north to south, okay, that would be, a, um, I looked that up, I did a Google search on that, 8,595 miles, they say, from South Pole to North Pole. Well, that's a long ways, and we can really wrap our brain around that, how, how gracious and good God is, and, and how thoroughly he deals with our sins. But that's a finite number. We know exactly how far that was, you know. And now, east to west is not like that. Unless you're talking about geographical east or geographical west, then, you know, that's another thing. But if you start walking east, if, if Jesus were to put all of our sins in a backpack and start trekking from east to west, taking our sins as far away as he could, he could just keep, it, keep on walking indefinitely. And that's how far he takes it. You, you get the point. What, what is he trying to say? That God wants us to know that when we uh, confess our sins and he forgives our sins, that he is thoroughly dealing with that. And we shouldn't be carrying that around anymore. And there is one that reminds us about our sins, specific sins, and he's called the accuser of the brethren over in Revelation 12. The accuser of the brethren who accuses them, how often? Day and night. And they overcame the accuser, how? By the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb, communion, you know, the blood of Jesus washed my sins away, and by the word of their testimony, brother. And by the word of their testimony, in, in other words, when, when the enemy, the accuser, starts throwing stuff at us, throwing our old sins at us, and he does that to me, and I'm sure he does it to some of you as well. I've done some things that weren't very nice in my past. And, and some of those things, you know, they, they come back to uh, bother me at the very least. And, but I've got, you know, I've got the word of God behind me. I've got the blood of Jesus behind me just to rebuke those, those accusations. Rebuke the accuser in the name of Jesus. And, and say, look, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's taken my sins away from me. Amen. Okay, then another, another illustration that is over in Micah 7, 18 and 19. Let's go there, please. Micah 7. 18 and 19, and there it is. You guys are fast back here. Uh, really hand it to the people in the booth. All right, so the depths of the sea. Let's read this here. He cast our sins into the depths of the sea. First of all, he will again have compassion on us, will subdue our iniquities, and will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. So I want to know how deep is the sea. Look that one up too. Surprised? I did. I looked it up. And uh, now the deepest part of the sea that has at least been confirmed by explorers is over uh, south of Guam, a few hundred miles. And uh, Mariana Trench, does that sound right in that area? Is the deepest, at least explored portion of the uh, world's oceans and seas. And how deep is the deepest one we've found so far? 36,200 feet. Mount Everest is, what, 29,000 feet tall? 
so you could sink Mount Everest and never see it again, you know, in that area. Point down, you know, point it down and then push it down in there. And you could get it down in that, in that deep part of the ocean. Isn't that amazing? And how, how well, okay, for those of us who live around Bloomington or Ellettsville like we do, um, how deep is that? Well, it's like driving from Bloomington to Ellettsville. Seven miles. Seven miles is how that translates. And so, and we're going 55, or, I belong to the five mile an hour over club, so I drive 60 from Bloomington to Ellettsville, and, uh, and it takes about 10 minutes. You know, that's deep down that the Lord has cast our sins. All right, and now let's go to, um, well, let's stay there for a moment. I uh, just want to say one more thing about the ocean, uh, Jesus casting our uh, sins into the depths of the sea. Uh, 90 to 95 percent of our of, of the of the world's oceans have not yet been explored or discovered. Did you know that? 90 to 95 percent. I googled it. So if you fact check me, well, uh, Google it. That's where I got my information. <laughs> all right. So and uh, so if God has cast all of our sins to the depths of the sea, I think what He's saying to us is, don't go exploring your old life. Don't go looking for your old sins and, and, and reviving them. Leave them down there. Leave them down there. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, look, look at that one, please, brother. Yeah, I think our sister uh, quoted this a little while ago. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So forget the old stuff. We're new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Leave those other things at the bottom of the sea. Corey Tinboom, most of you have heard of Corey Tinboom, and, and uh, she was talking about this particular passage in Micah 7. And she said, and then, and then after he cast our sins into the depths of the sea, he put up a sign that said, no fishing. No fishing. Yeah. Okay, another one I, I came across talking about the Bible being a, a treasure chest. Just one day I was reading, well, I'd been reading the, the uh, prophet Isaiah in my morning meditation time and reading the prophet Isaiah. And I read this thing about King Hezekiah where he was near unto death and he asked God to extend his life. And God extended his life. And then uh, I, uh, King Hezekiah says... Um, no, I'm sorry. I didn't give you the passage, did I? Isaiah 38, 17. Isaiah 38, 17. Okay. Uh, Hezekiah speaking. Indeed, it was for my own peace. I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. For you have, here we go, you have cast all my sins behind your back. Can everybody here see your back pretty clearly? I can't, you know, I had some itchy spots on my back and, and I was trying to look in the mirror to, to see, what they, see what they were, bed bugs or mosquitoes or, or measles, I didn't know, so I was trying to see, my, I couldn't see it. I got two mirrors, I even got some, tried on some different glasses, you know, to see if I, and I couldn't see them behind my back, that's the problem. I mean, a guy could put a little sticker on my back that says, kick me, and I'd begin wondering, uh, you know, after a while, after a few bruised shins and, and uh, but so, so this is kind of an earthly picture of God, though, how he deals so thoroughly with our sins. He puts him behind his back. 
Not as if God couldn't see his back if he wanted to. But here's, here it is. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to. So why bother to use his uh, superhuman, his godly you know, gifts and, and look at his own back and look at our sins? Because he doesn't want to. All these things we've been, I've been sharing with you so far kind of uh, remind me of that song, Amazing Grace. You know, just how amazing is God's grace? Well, it just keeps getting amazinger and amazinger all, all I, you know, the farther I go along and the more I learn from the Bible. Okay, then one more thing about uh, the nature of, of God's forgiveness toward us for our sins. In uh, Hebrews 10, 17. Let's go there, brother. All right, so we're in, in Hebrews 10, 17. And there he says, uh, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, Daniel calls, calls God the Ancient of Days, okay? But he's not feeble-minded, so he could remember things if he wanted to remember things, not like some of us who are beginning to slip just a little bit, you know. Um, so he, d- he just chooses, again, he chooses to not only forgive, but to forget to, to their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Uh, so now, this is, this is the way God deals with our sins. This is his attitude towards our sins. Now, if he can remove our sins as far as the east is from the west, into the depths of the sea, put them behind his back, forget our sins, then how should we forgive one another? How should we forgive not just one another in church, but how should we forgive our enemies, evil people out there? How should we forgive? And let's go to Ephesians 4.32, please. Ephesians 4.32. How shall we forgive? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, how should we forgive? Even as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive even as Jesus. East is west, east from west, you know, and so on, all that that we just said. All right. And uh, Jean reminded me of something, my wife reminded me of something when I was uh, first preparing for this message, and she says, says something like, don't forget to talk about choice versus feeling. And, and I said that God chooses to forget. God chooses not to look behind his back. And so when we forgive people, people we love, or even people who are uh, evil, evil people, then we have to make a choice. And, and there are a lot of times we don't forgive like, feel, uh, we don't forgive like, we don't feel like forgiving people. But if we do forgive them, if we make that choice, I believe that the feeling will come. I think that, um, you know, there, there's, there's great power in forgiveness. I think it's one of the greatest powers in the world, forgiveness. Um, more powerful than nuclear bombs and, and, uh, and all that. I believe that marriages can be restored. Marriages can be made better and long-lasting. Uh, Ruth Graham said something uh, in one of her books, I believe it was, where she says, a happy marriage is a union of two good forgivers. A union of two good forgivers. Uh, we've been married nearly 45 years, and I think, we've, I think it's gone both ways. We forgive each other for a lot of stuff, don't we? Yeah, she, said, she says yes. Okay. <laughs> and we've had a happy marriage. And uh, I thank God for that. And, and uh, 
So, but friendships can be restored. Nations, nations who were once bitter enemies and, and warred against each other can, uh, through forgiveness, become friends again. I mean, we, we drive Japanese cars, don't we? German cars. And I think I saw a, a, a Jaguar out there last Wednesday. And so we drive British cars, too. And, you know, used to be enemies. But now we're on friendly terms, or at least at least pretty good terms with, with some of these countries, and all through forgiveness. So I, what I want to leave you with this morning, then, is, uh, you know, we've read all these good things and thought about these good things, how God uh, treats our sin, how he takes it so far away from us. But I think the important thing for us to do is, is if God is convicting us of something, you know, that you have not confessed, see, unconfessed, Sin, God can be at work convicting you of that unconfessed sin. You understand what I'm saying? So don't, don't say, well, that's, that's the accuser of the brethren. No, because God wants you to come to him and ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. And, uh, you know, don't, don't just shrug it off and say, oh, well. Oh, well, you know, I heard what Brother Jim said. Far as the east is from the west, you know, oh, well. And uh, God understands I sin all the time, sin every day. Well, you know, that shouldn't be the case. We are new creation in Christ Jesus. No longer sinners. Yeah, we, we're able to. We're able to. But we can choose not to also. We can choose to call on the Lord and ask for help to be delivered from temptations to sin to begin with. We can do that. And he can do that. He can help us. But... Just don't shrug it off, okay? You got a sin in your life, unconfessed, take it before the Lord. Take it before him.